I hope that you've uh, enjoyed so far as we've started our, uh, uh, this uh, series. Uh, my, the idea behind this is when we were getting to plan it um, was actually a whole, a whole different series planned, quite honest with you. I had something entirely different, a, a whole service or series written and ready to go, and God decided that was better for a different church. So I was able to hand that off to another church. The pastor needed to take a break, and so they had that series, and, and uh, I got to write this one in uh, the last two months, and and the idea behind this was, you know, really what does God want from us? As we think about not just a new year, but our lives, what is it that God really wants? Right? What is the thing that when we can be great in his eyes, where does true greatness come from? And so we began looking into the scriptures, and that's where the series is. We're, we're looking into several passages that are even called great, like the, the great uh, commandments, the great commission great compassion, and then one uh, verse that's actually just a great example, and that's the great commitment. So that's what we'll be covering through, and of course, um, we have a memory verse. Every week we do that. Last week's memory verse was this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So if you missed that last week, there you go. That's the very, I hope you got that. That's, we got to get this first, and now today's memory verse follows that up, part two, and it says this, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Isn't that an amazing thing? All of the law and the prophets. You want to summarize, you want to get down to what does God want from us? Love God with our heart, soul, mind. And today we're going to learn about how we love him with our strength. How do we love him, our neighbor, with ourselves? So last week's um, challenge, we call the greatness challenge, was to follow greatly. How do we follow Jesus greatly? And that's by loving God with our heart, soul, and mind. And today we're going to talk about this. The challenge is to care greatly. How do we care? Not just kind of, but in a great way, in a way that brings greatness that lasts and greatness in the kingdom. And so uh, some things we want to look at for the greatness uh, challenge, we want to learn how to care greatly. Remember this great um, quote that I found. I thought this was awesome when I read it. And I kind of based a lot of the, the message around this. It was a statement that, that I read, a great statement. It says this, A great commitment to the great commandments and the great commission, done with great compassion, will grow a great church and a great Christian. It's a mouthful, isn't it? It's awesome, though, isn't it? It's a, that's a true statement. That's a great statement. And there's something in here we're going to be focusing on. These last two weeks, we've been looking at this, the great commandments. Okay, a great commitment to the great commandments. We want to look at that. Last week, we looked at part one. That first half. Today we're still looking at these great commandments, the things that God wants. To so think about a command. It's like it's something you must do. So God said, this is what I want from you. Imperatives. And so uh, we're going to be looking at these great commandments. And uh, last week to follow the first one, we want to follow God greatly. Um, that thing that we quoted today, our memory verse, where Jesus said, in the second is like it, love your neighbors yourself. He was also quoting from the Old Testament, um, from the book of Leviticus, 19 uh, verse uh, 18. And so uh, Jesus was taking something from their passage. And and in that portion of scripture, uh, in Leviticus, God is teaching his people how to treat one another. What are the rules around how we're supposed to treat one another? And he sums it all up by saying this, love your neighbor as, as much as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, as important it is to say where it came from, really want to see how is that applied, right? Love your neighbor yourself. What does that look like? Um, and so that's what we're going to spend most of the day looking at today. So if you have your Bibles, there's a, there's a really cool story that Jesus explains this in, and it's in Luke chapter 10, and that's on page 725 if you're one of our Bibles. Um, if, you, if you need a Bible, please, we've got plenty in the back. Just, just take one and, and uh, uh, 
if, if you need a Bible, keep it, our gift to you. But as you turn into uh, Luke chapter 10, let me um, set the, the stage, what's going on. Okay, Jesus is going and he's teaching people about the kingdom of God, and uh, he's made some enemies along the way because he's challenging the status quo. He's actually prodding people. Right, and we talked about this series is really going to be prodding you. This is for the Christian. This is to say, what does God want from us? And and He's going to this nation. And he's telling them there's a different way. Right, we can obey the laws. We can have a great commitment to the great commandments, but if we're not doing it with great compassion, not doing it the right way, we're missing it. And He's been challenging the people and challenging the status quo. And and so there were some who were skeptical. And there were some, also, he was changing the way that they totally understood how people are supposed to relate to one another and relate to God. And so uh, we start in verse 25, and it says this, On one occasion, an expert of the law stood to test Jesus. And so he's getting there, and there's a, there's a lawyer that's there, a, a religious lawyer, who's going to be there, and is going to put Jesus to the test and try to really say, All right, I'm going to try to trap you. And it says this, Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so, what is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? I love that. He says, you're a lawyer. You've studied this. You should know. What do you think? And the man said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's an interesting that before Jesus in a different place, a different scripture, actually somebody tries to challenge him and Jesus gives this very same answer. But here, a teacher of the law, a lawyer, it was very clear. Jesus didn't pull things out of nowhere, right? God made it very clear in his word. This is what he wants. So much that this teacher of the law, this lawyer, was able to, to pick this out perfectly. And, and Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But then verse 29, this is where we get to really the attitude, the heart behind it. He says, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? I think when we go into God's word, it's not enough for us to be religious or to be committed to just the faith, right? When we come to God's word and we say, all right, what must I do? God was going to tell us. But we have to get beyond the part of saying, I want to use the Bible to justify my lifestyle or my beliefs, we want to have the scripture change us, shape us. We want to follow it. And that's really where this teacher missed it. But Jesus, seeing the heart of the matter, he goes and, and he does something different. He doesn't argue with the man. He tells a story. And it's a story that you all know. It's the story of, of the Good Samaritan. And it's something that's, even those in the popular culture, even with the great biblical literacy that's out there, still understand Good Samaritan. We even have a, uh, a place in town called Good Samaritan where people go and are taken care of in their older age. We also have a, a place right by my house. It's called Good Sam's. It's a trailer a place where people can, can park their, their stuff during the summertime and camp out and things like this. And the idea is that they'll take care of you. We understand the concept of the, of the story, but it's interesting. I think there's a lot of times there's a lot of things we missed. And so this is what the story says. This is a good story of the Good Samaritan. If you never heard it, it says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked from robbers. They stripped him with, uh, of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened uh, to going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came into the place and he saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, when he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. 
And he went over to him and bandaged his wounds and pouring oil and wine on them. He then put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Then Jesus says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? And this is where it's interesting. The extra law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. Didn't even want to say the word Samaritan. But the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. That's a deep story. It reminds us that the idea of wanting to justify, who's my neighbor? And so Jesus makes the most ridiculous of all stories, right? The guy's going down and he's, he's, he's on a travel, he's on a trip, and then he gets beat up. And, and then a priest, like a pastor, man, he's going to come along and see this guy. And you know what? There's a lot of teaching about why the, the priest would have gone around the other side. Maybe it's because he thought the guy was dead and the priest would have been ceremonially unclean and that's why he did. Jesus doesn't go into all the psychological things. Here's the deal. There's a guy who's a priest. He's supposed to have mercy. The law should have taught him that mercy. And yet this priest used the law as a way to say, I don't want to have mercy and goes around. And then there was a Levite. It's kind of like an associate pastor, right? <laughs> goes along the same road sees the guy, but ignores him. Gets so far away from the problem, and like, ah, see this, and goes along the way. And then an enemy. Somebody who, you know, the Samaritans really were enemies of the Jews, and we can see even now the Palestinians. Think of like the Palestinians and the Jews right now. It kind of gives you an idea of how they felt about one another. And, and mortal enemies, and yet this man doesn't see a mortal enemy. He sees a human that's beat up. And he goes to him, and he takes care of him at a great expense, he cares for him. And then he, Jesus asks, which of these is really the neighbor? And the answer is very simple, compassion. And the answer for Jesus is that this is how we're supposed to love one another. This is the example for us. Because he says, go and do likewise if you want to be a thing. So when we look at, uh, at this story, there's, uh, it's, it seems like an easy application. Well, we'll just care for one another, right? As Christians, we'll just stop and care. You know, in Princeton in 1978, they did an interesting study in theological seminary there. So these are people training to be pastors. And they brought them into a room, and, and uh, they said to them, uh, they, they broke them up into three different groups. And they told them, listen, uh, here is something that you have to teach, right? And right across campus is a place that you need to teach it. So we want you to prepare for it right now. And then they gave them three different levels of urgency. Um, the first group, they gave a very high level of urgency. said, um, here's the thing you're supposed to teach. And by the way, you're supposed to be teaching on the parable of the Good Samaritan. And then half of them got to teach on something different. But, uh, but pre- teach on this parable of the Good Samaritan. Prepare it real fast. And you're already late. So you've got to run across campus. And you've got to teach on this right now. The second group, they said, study this. Now, you don't have a whole lot of time. But if you leave, you know, you, you study this real fast, and if you leave right now, you'll get there on time, okay? So, but you have no time to waste. And then the third group, they said, study this, get it ready, and then show up, and you'll be about 15, 20 minutes early, and then, you know, you've got a little bit of time. You don't, have, you don't want to dilly-dally, but you've got a little extra time. It's like three different levels of urgency. And they sent them on their way. And then what they did is they made sure that the path between where the study was and where the presentation was, there was an alley, and inside the alley was a man who they made look all like he was all beat up and he was all slumped over in a, uh, in a doorway kind of thing and he was in obvious need of help. And so they forced these guys to walk by it and they made sure that they recognized this. 
And then they figured out, okay, who stopped? And they realized that it didn't matter what they were teaching. The people who were teaching on the Good Samaritan and the teacher people teaching on something different, same percentage of them stopped. So it didn't matter what they were teaching, what was on their mind, which I thought was fascinating. But what caused it was a huge difference on who would stop based upon their level of urgency. The people who thought that they were late already, only 10% stopped. 10%. 90% of, of these people training to be pastors, half of which have just studied the parable of Good Samaritan, only 10% stop. But then, of course, the group on the far other side that had a lot of time, you know, that, that had a little extra time in their schedule, 63% stop, which I think is still pretty pathetic. Half of them had already studied this, but 63 is way better than 10%. I think the question for us is saying that knowing the story of the Good Samaritan isn't enough. The question for us is, we don't want to just, uh, we could think, well, here's the way that we're going to, to make sure that we're going to be able to stop is to be less busy. That's not the solution. Your life is going to be busy. All of us are going to have times that we're busy. The question is, how do we become that 10%? That stops no matter what, right? Isn't that what we want to be? Isn't that the goal? Isn't that greatness? Those who said, you know what? There's this thing and I'm in a hurry and yet here's a need. There's a human. I'm going to show compassion. That's the example. Those are the ones that we want to emulate. How do we gain to, how do we attain to be like that 10%? No matter how busy we are, we have time to care because that's caring greatly. There's a word that uh, I want you to know, compassion is in this passage and we're going to talk about it next week too quite a bit. And it's important for us to really get what compassion is. And I think on a very practical level, we would define it like this. Compassion is love in action. To say that I have compassion with you but do nothing for you is a very non-compassionate thing, right? Have you ever had somebody, you're going through a really hard time and they say, oh, that's horrible, pat you on the back, I hope you do better, and they leave. Sometimes that's really hurtful, isn't it? When somebody sees that you're hurting and then they go out of their way to avoid you so they don't have to take on your burden. That's also lack of compassion. Compassion is love in action. And so uh, that's one of the things that uh, is going to be a, a real definer as we look at through this. Jesus tells us we need to apply our love. Love others as much as you love yourself. Care for them. In its very literal state, what does compassion mean? It means to enter suffering with, to suffer alongside someone. You've ever heard the word passion, like the passion of Christ? Right? That's when Jesus suffered. Compassion literally means to come along into the suffering of another person. And that requires action, doesn't it? I mean, the compassion that, that, that we recognize in Christ, that we recognize in, and even in this story, is recognize that the compassion is not comfortable. It can't be. You're entering in the suffering of somebody else. That's what it means. And so don't expect it to be comfortable. I think a lot of times, many people avoid compassion because the few times that they've demonstrated they've entered in the suffering of someone else, they were uncomfortable because they're suffering now with somebody else and they think they're doing it wrong. No, it means you're doing it right. If you're stepping along, if you're going into somebody's life, they're crying and you step along and you're with them or they've just lost somebody that they care about or, or one of their dreams have been dashed or they're very frustrated and you go along and you, and you, and you enter that suffering with them, you will be upset. You will hurt. It will be uncomfortable. Jesus entered this world and took on our pain and suffering too. Right? And aren't we glad he did? And the cross was not a comfortable thing for him, nor was it the 30 years leading up to it. He entered our suffering and showed us how to love. 
We have to recognize that it doesn't mean you're doing it wrong if it's uncomfortable. It means that you're doing it right. Enter the suffering of another. Compassion compels us to do that. Another thing we recognize from the story is compassion is not convenient. It will always be easier to avoid the hurting person, isn't it? When you see somebody tear up, you see somebody having a bad day, it's the easiest thing in the world to say, I don't want to deal with this now. I've already got too much on my plate. There will never come a time in your life, ever, when it's going to be convenient to step into somebody else's pain because it's their pain, not yours, and you could avoid it and not have any pain. It's not going to be convenient. Another thing we see about it, compassion is never clean. You're entering the suffering of another person. You're going to get messy. And that's just part of it. It's going to, sometimes it's going to affect you. You might start to tear up. Right? You might start to have uh, hurt in your heart for them. Uh, you might start to take on some of their burden and it causes some kind of mess in your life as well because suffering is messy business. And we look on the cross and we recognize how messy suffering can truly be. Jesus took on our pain. He calls us to follow him. He says, take this love and put it into action. If you want to love one another, you have to recognize it's not going to be comfortable, it's not going to be convenient, it's not going to be clean, but do it anyway. That's what following Christ is about. That's why it's a command and not just a suggestion, because none of us would do it. Now, if we look at this story, we see some things in there about how we can apply this compassion. How do we apply love in action? There's, there's things that this Samaritan did that are, are essential for us to do that. The first thing is, is that uh, he was aware. When people are suffering, our first defense mechanism is to ignore, isn't it? When you see somebody suffering, we're going to pretend we don't see it. So that way I can pretend like, oh, I was just oblivious to your suffering, so that's why I didn't enter into it. That's what we do, isn't it? I remember last summer, my wife was at Safeway, and uh, she just told me the story recently, and I asked her if I could tell it, so she said yes, so that's what I'm telling you. She was at Safeway, and uh, how busy it is, and she was by that kiosk in the front where they had like the fruit and all that kind of stuff, and there was a man there who looked, uh, in, probably in his 50s or whatever, and real scruffy beard and all that kind of stuff, and she could just tell by looking at him that he probably smelled bad, and and uh, she said, you know, kind of looked like he was, had like no teeth and all that kind of stuff and, and all of this. And, but she needed something over there and she was uncomfortable, right? But she's like, well, I'm going to go do this. So she went over there and the man was staying next to her and then she looked at him in the eyes and said, hi, uh, nice to see you, right? Like and my sweet wife always does. And she was terrified and the guy looked at her and he said, you're the first, she said, he said, young lady, you're the first person that's looked me in the eyes. And, and she said, thank you. And he was, was really uncomfortable at this point because you're like, what did I do? And she said, well, well yeah, I uh, hope you have a nice day. She grabbed her things. She went to turn and he put his, her hand on, his, on her shoulder and then she was really nervous because remember, compassion is not clean. And, and so she turned around a little bit scared and he said, uh, he said, I feel like a human today. Now, she had to see this man. Everybody else in the store saw this man because he stood out, right? But everybody else wanted to ignore him. And sometimes it's a little bit. 
looking somebody in the eye gives them dignity and human. Enter suffering, right? We have to be aware. The Samaritan was the only one in the story who was aware. The priest walking along, oh, I don't see this, getting around the far side. The Levite walking around the far side, don't want to enter in, just not looking. The Samaritan saw the pain. The second thing is you have to be available, right? You have to see it, but then you have to make yourself available to help. Look at what the Samaritan did. He stopped and he offered aid, (laughs) right? That's what he did. But the other two didn't. It's one thing to see suffering and just walk on by, but then you have to then make yourself available, and that's where it's not convenient. And the third thing that the Samaritan showed us is that compassion is generous. This beat-up man had everything of value stolen from him, right? Had nothing to offer. And so in order to help him, in fact, this, this Jewish man had done nothing good for the Samaritan, right? Nothing. And the Samaritan stopped, not because the Jewish man deserved it, but because he was a human. He had compassion on it. And what did he do? He put olive oil and wine, very expensive things. He puts them on his own donkey. It cost him his own comfort. It cost him his schedule. He takes him to an inn and pays for that night. And then it says, all right, I'm going to pay for as long as this guy needs to, to, to heal. That's compassion. It's expensive. It's hard. And it costs us a lot of different things. But we need to be aware. We need to be available. We need to be generous. Those are the elements of compassion and so we're going to talk about those today so to care greatly late to care greatly i must be aware that's the first thing that we got to start with is i must be aware only we can only show compassion to those that we know that need it so we got to take the blinders off and i think a lot of times we intentionally put the blinders on so we don't get to this stage and jesus compels us in fact he commands us take the blinders off because the world is full of suffering and yes it's hard but we need to see it In fact, uh, here's a great verse for us in Philippians 2. It says this. I go back to it. Ah, why is it going crazy today? Mm -hmm. I know. There you go. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, right? But each of you to the interests of others. Get this. We're not supposed to look out for ourselves. We're supposed to look out for each other. And if I'm looking, here's an amazing thing. You go on God's math. There's, what, uh, 300 and some of us now as a part of the Christian church family, right? When I'm looking out for your interests and every other Christian, you've got 300 people in this community at least. And then there's the wider evangelical Christian community up here in Estes, right? You've got thousands of people looking out for you. Isn't it a lot better than just you looking out for you? It's an amazing thing, but it causes us that we have to start looking out for one another. And it says this, do nothing. Not, it says that don't do most things out of selfish ambitions. The command here is do nothing. Look at Christ. Was it out of selfish ambition that drove him here? A selfish ambition that caused him to show so much mercy? No, he gave us the example. He showed us how to do it. It can be done. And so how do we do it? Value others above yourself. This Samaritan saw this Jew and said, I'm valuing above myself. I'm going to give of myself. I'm going to see you in your need. I'm going to take care of you. See the need. Look out for one another. It's the first thing that we need to do. Next thing to be to care greatly, I guess you saw this, I've got to be available. I have to be. We can only show compassion to those to whom we're willing to show compassion on. Isn't that true? And so willingness 
to see what has got to grow into action, right? If I'm willing to help you, but I do nothing, it's, it's of zero value. And so like uh, John, 1 John 3.18, I challenged you guys to, to read that yesterday. Well, actually, it's Proverbs 14. It says this, It is a sin to despise one's neighbor, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. Isn't that a great thing? It's a sin to despise your neighbor. I don't think we often see this as we think, well, if I don't want to help somebody, I see they're in need and I don't want to help them, then that's, you know, their loss. But we will be judged for those things. As fallen church, you know there's laws now in, in books and actual cities that are called Good Samaritan laws that compel people to do what ethically, morally, that we should be doing anyway? If you see somebody in need that you can actually help and, and rescue somebody and then you choose not to, it's a crime in a lot of places now called Good Samaritan laws. But in God's kingdom, it's no different. He knows. He, he allows us to have these opportunities and we see need and then we ignore it or we say, you know what, that's a great thing, but I choose not to help. God said, you've, you've missed the mark. That's what sin means. This is what you're supposed to do and you didn't do it. And oftentimes, we're, as Christians, we become very, very comfortable by saying, well, I'm going to do what serves me best. But God says, no, no, we need to serve him best. And we serve him best and we serve one another when we care for one another. So our compassion has got to lead to action. I've got to make myself available. And it's not going to be convenient because people don't hurt at convenient times. Then there's that First John 3.18. It says, dear children, let us not just love one another with speech but with actions and in truth. That's the difference between a superficial relationship. That's the difference between what, what we, we look at as saying religion and what a real relational church is about. Actions and in truth. If I see that you're hurting, I'm going to do something to help. And sometimes all I can do to help is be a listening ear. Sometimes all I can do is stand with you while you cry. I will tell you, in ministry... It is the most uncomfortable thing all the time when people are suffering and I feel so ill-equipped because I'm not God, right? I can't just fix problems with a magic wand. Sometimes all I can do is come alongside and just cry with people and pray with them silently and loud. But there are some times that I'm actually, there are things the practical that I can do beyond just sitting there. Both are a value. You have to be available and you have to give what you can give. Actions and in truth. It's an amazing, powerful thing when we begin to do that. Also, we get this, that to care greatly, I not only have to be ava- aware and available, but I also have to be generous. You can't be stingy in this department. God gives us everything we need to, in order to fulfill this command, but we're going to have to be willing to invest what he's given us in the things that God wants us to invest it in. Compassion is costly. First thing I want you to look at is how costly is compassion. Look at 1 John 3.16. It says, this is how we know what love is, right? This is our, our, uh, our standard for what love is. We got it. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That was pretty costly. And so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That first part of the compassion is Jesus' passion the most costly thing ever, the most costly gift in all of of eternity, the very life of God the Son. You can't buy that. And God was willing to offer it freely. We recognize that the second part is that, that then because of what Christ has done for us, we also then get to lay down the most valuable thing for us is our life. That isn't everything that we have. 
That's what it talks about in Christ. When it says when we lay down ourselves, when we come to Christ, we die to our old nature, we're new in Christ, right? We start living for him and in him, right? There's this whole new way that we live, no longer to please ourselves, but to please God and to care for his people. Those aren't just nice words that are supposed to make us feel better. That's a, that's a huge and a very challenging call is exactly what that is. That's why it says be living sacrifices, right? This is our reasonable act of worship. God laid down himself for us. He gave up his life with all of his dreams, his rights, his everything for us. We cannot look to our own things, whatever I have in my life, and to say you are not worth it because God said that you are worth it. He's called us to be willing to say, whatever it is, I'm willing to sacrifice of myself for you. And there really isn't a limit to that, is there? He doesn't say sacrifice to a healthy point. No, Jesus laid down his life, which is the very definition of not healthy. This is our example. It's costly. And so there's things in our life, there are ways, very practical things in our life that that we can offer with generosity that are going to be costly to you. And the first one is encouragement. This is a hard thing to offer, but look what it says in Hebrews 3. It says, but encourage one another daily. (laughs) As long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. This world is hard and it's heavy and there's a lot of pain. I love the, the surrounding verses of this passage really talking about overcoming this, where Hebrews was written to a church that was under deep persecution. Think Syria, right? Deep persecution. Very, very hard. And it was very easy for people to give up on the faith and give up on God because of the deep suffering that they were going through. And the, and the, the, the recommendation or the prescription from heaven is this. Encourage one another. And don't just do it kind of often. Do it daily. Make it part of your routine. Make it part of your lifestyle. When I see another brother or sister, let's encourage them. How are we supposed to encourage them? With the words of truth. Sometimes there's not encouragement in your situation. Like, I remember sitting with a good friend as part of this church who had cancer. And, you know, the doctor said, you're not going to get better from this. And he decided to fight it. And he did for many years. But we all knew where it was going to end. My encouragement wasn't, well, well you're just going to get better and then everything's going to go on. He knew that he wasn't going to hold on to this life forever. The encouragement was this, there's purpose in the suffering. That I'm with you and your family is with you and, and we're watching you and right now you're setting a legacy and God is saving you. He has a new body waiting for you and you know what? You're a faithful man. Because there's a lot of times this guy wanted to give up. And he needed daily encouragement. And I, many times in my life, have needed daily encouragement because life is hard. That's why it says encourage one another daily. And the fact is that we're not going to be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. It is not easy to encourage one another because encourage you, it means I have to realize why you're discouraged, isn't it? Otherwise, it's just a weird platitude. I've got to enter in your pain. I've got to figure out what's going on. And I've got to be able to apply the hope of God in a right way in your life. So you can be like, yes. I don't like this, but God is overcoming it, and there's purpose in it. And I can be faithful. So I'm not going to be hardened by sin's deceitfulness, thinking that God is bad, or this world has no purpose, or I might as well just give up. Be generous with your encouragement. See one another, help one another, love one another, go and talk to one another. And remind each other of the great promises that we have, that Jesus is coming back, that he's making a purpose, that he's got a purpose in your life and your suffering. And it says in the word of God that every single thing that we go through, he uses for something great. So invest it to something great. 
Not only that, I see in Galatians 6 1 that we do this. Brothers and sisters, we want to be uh, compassionate also, not, not just with, uh, with uh, our encouragement, but also with our correction. It says, if so, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, I love that if. Like, boy, he thinks highly of us. I love when, <laughs> right? Someone is caught in sin. You who believe by the Spirit should restore that person. Get this gently. But watch yourself. You may also be tempted. Correction is love. I, when I see my son doing something dangerous, I've got to tell him I, he's got to change the way that he's doing something, right? Otherwise, he's going to get hurt. If I don't correct him and he gets hurt, then I didn't love him very well, did I? I don't understand that each one of us, that we are going to stand before our judge, our creator at some point. And he's going to, we're going to give an account for our life. Not only that, but when we do things in our life that are contrary to his word, it brings pain into our own life, in our world. To see one another fall into habitual sin and to fall away from God and say nothing just because we want to make them comfortable is not love. But notice this. There's a difference. It matters how we restore them as much as what if we restore them. Gently. There's a compassion to it. I love like the idea of the whole plank guy syndrome, right? Or I, you've got this, I want to judge you because I just want to make, because it makes me feel better. No, that's not what this is about. It says do so gently and also watch yourself. Have some humility in this because you know what? You could fall into that very same sin. So don't, don't condemn the person, but bring them back to God in a loving way. Here's gently. doesn't always say, right now, here's where you are and this is where you need to be. You need to be right there right now or else, you know, I'm going to kick you out. That's not gently. Gentlemen's going to say, what's broken in your heart? Why would you engage in this? How can we help you? We need to tell you turn back to God. Walking along beside them as they take steps of faith when they fall down to encourage them to get back up and to continue walking closer to God. That's gently. Do so gently and with humility. But we need to correct one another, right? The pastor cannot be the only person in the church. That's, that we've got lots of people, right? And we all, we all go astray. That's what the word says. Help each other. Let's encourage one another back to faithfulness with correction. It's a way that we show love. Uh, next thing that we well, see in Proverbs, it says this, is better as an open rebuke than hidden love. Don't you love Proverbs? <laughs> Isn't it true? I think of the people that helped me most in my life were those who didn't tell me what I wanted to hear, but told me what I needed to hear. That's when I grew. Now, usually when open rebuke, the first response is anger. I'm mad at you because I've got pride and why would you do this, right? But if it comes from the word, God's Holy Spirit brings conviction and then you realize, oh, and you fall under that and then you can be released of it because you can be repenting and you can turn back to God and you can be restored. So much better to be surrounded by people. My true friends are those who tell me the truth. They do it gently. But even in this case, they say even an open rebuke is better than doing nothing. So be generous. And get this, that tolerating a struggling sinner is not the same thing as accommodating sin. I think in our culture, we've bought into this lie, this, this thing that says this, in order, everybody doesn't want to just be tolerated, they want to be celebrated. Right? You must celebrate my sin? No. I will tolerate your sin because I love you, because God loves you. That's where we begin to say, you know what you're doing is not right, I still love you, I'm not rejecting you, but you have to walk away from this. Open rebuke, it's, it's the way the scripture says that we need to help one another. It takes courage to be generous with that. Another thing that we have to do is uh, we have to be generous, uh, not only that, with our forgiveness. Because people aren't just going to sin against God, they're going to sin against you. It's going to happen a lot. 
In fact, uh, there are two huge truths in life that you can count on. The first one is people will let you down. The second one is you will let people down. Isn't that true? We forgive because we've been forgiven. It says, brothers and sisters, uh, uh, if a brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, do this, forgive them. And then it goes on to say how many times you forgive. As many times as they repent. That's how many times. Because they deserve it? No. Not because they deserve it, because God forgave you. Be generous with forgiveness. Because God was generous for forgiveness with you. Ephesians 4 says this, Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil, but with insult with insult. Then it goes on to say, On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because of this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. So we're not just uh, 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 generous with our forgiveness. right? Just say, okay, I'm going to forgive you and that's it. We go the extra mile. That's what Jesus says, right? It's the whole idea of turning the other cheek. When someone strikes you, it would be just enough. That would be a huge thing just to walk away. But no, Jesus says, stand there and then turn the other cheek. Or he says this, you know what? Love your enemy. Don't just not hate your enemy. He says, love them. If they curse you, bless them. Even so, very practical things. If a Roman soldier forces you to walk a mile carrying his, his armor, go two miles. That's the mark of Christian. That's the power that we have above this world. That is love in action. That's what the world doesn't expect. This is an amazing thing. So be generous in your forgiveness to the point that it leads you to bless those who curse you. Return peace for hostility. This is what we're called to, and it is not easy, and it is costly, isn't it? Because whenever you do that, there's something inside of you that's just rageful. How come they get away with this? They don't get away with it. The God of justice is coming. Right? We can leave the justice to him. But it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us our ability to get what we think we believe we deserve. So be generous with your forgiveness. Not just to forgive, but to bless. And then when we do that, I think we earn the right to do this next part is to be generous with, with even our, our language, our testimony. 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. And what are I going to ask you? To give a reason for the hope that you have, but do so with gentleness and respect. We need to be generous with the very testimony of Christ, but get this, no one's going to listen to the words that you say unless the life that you have backs it up. Notice the thing, it says, always be prepared, okay, so we, we, we know what God has done, but guess, what are we prepared for? To tell everyone for the hope? No, no, to give everyone who asks you. Our lives are to look so remarkably different in the way that this world works that people will be curious. <laughs> and you know when that happens? It's when we're generous with our forgiveness. It's when we're generous with our encouragement, right? It's when we're actually helping and encouraging and, and we're entering into people's pain and they see, how on earth do you do that? That is the point at which we say, they say, where does that love come from? And you say, well, I'm glad that you asked. That's when we have the opportunity to evangelize in a deep and profound and effective way. That's when we are to be prepared to give an answer. So think about what God has done for you, but live it and show it. And then when God gives you the opportunity as you show it, be generous with your testimony. Don't withhold it. Don't hold the, the, the glory back for yourself and say, well, it's just because I'm a really great person, to be honest with you. Or it's because I'm so religious, it's great. No, you point back to God. <laughs> See, you want to know why I forgive? Because you should know me. I need a lot of forgiveness. Right? 
you want to know why I will turn blessing for when people do bad things to me? Because you should see the stuff that I have done to God and what he's he got done for me. And when we do that, look at this. It says with gentleness and respect. Scripture doesn't tell us, it doesn't command us to force anyone into the kingdom. That's not how God works. We listen to where they're at and with gentleness and respect for where they are, we're able to tell our story, our testimony when they're wondering, what is, what is this hope that you have? Where does it come from? We don't go to them and say, well, you stupid pagan. I'm glad you asked. You know, you miserable worm. <laughs> that was not a good way of evangelizing. You say, you know, we're all falling short, but God has done something amazing for us. With gentleness and respect, we can share the hope we have. And so we need to be prepared and we do that. You know, this the compassion we talked about, all of this, 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 this challenge to care greatly is actually the mark of us who we are as Christians. Look what it says in the Gospel of John. Jesus says, a new command I give you. This is a command. Love one another as I have loved you. Now he sets the example. So you must, not maybe, you must love one another. By this, he says, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see all the repetition that's in there? You think Jesus wants us to get this? Jesus didn't say that people are going to know we're his disciples because we, we all walk around with Bibles in our hands or because we dress a certain way or because we all know the lyrics to, to some songs, religious songs, or because we all hang out on Sunday together. That's not what he said. People will know we're legitimately from God. So the mark of a believer, the thing that's going to make us stand out in this world where people will say, you know what, you're not, the reason that we know your faith is real is not because we argue them into it because we have the best arguments. And we do because it's based on truth. But that's not what's going to set us apart. He said, what's going to set us apart? How the world's going to know we're legitimate is this. Our love for one another. How we love one another the way that Christ loved us. That's how the world knows. That's something you can't argue against. Right? When... When an enemy comes against you and is doing awful things and you bless them instead? When they take from you and then you add double to that and give it to them and say, you know what, clearly you need, want this more than I do? <laughs> when they do something horrible to you and they do not deserve your, your forgiveness in absolutely no way and they know it and you forgive them nonetheless. When you see people that are hurting and no one else will come and talk to them but you go and talk to them and help them. When you give of your little portion to help somebody else with their less, when you go and you give your life, pour it out for other people and care, the world will take notice and say, that person is from God. A great example, Mother Teresa. Even, I've got some of my family members who don't walk close to God still look at her life and say, that's an example of a person that we knew was from God. Let's let our compassion prove our love. Our compassion to prove our faith. Our compassion is what gives us the ability to, to build God's kingdom here. That's why to care greatly is so important. That's why God says, you know what, you've got to love him first. That's where your compassion's got to come from, but it's got to be showered on this world that needs it so deeply. And deserves it not at all. When we do that, great things happen. Compassion is the mark of a believer, so we need to gain this. So here's, what do we learn today about compassion? Well, I think the first thing we learned is this. Compassion is love in action. Make sure that we are actually loving people, doing things. Our life should look different. Our actions should look different because we actually care for someone. As a Christian, as a believer, your lifestyle must look different than your neighbor who's not. 
You have to have the marks of compassion in your life. The second thing it says here, compassion, people are aware. So be aware. Right? Today, take time to start opening our eyes to the suffering of the world around us. Next thing we say is compassionate people are available. When you see a pain, don't be afraid of entering into it. And the thing we have here is that compassionate people are also generous. Be willing to, to sacrifice. Be ready to sacrifice, actually I should say. Because God didn't give us all the things that he's given us so that we can hoard them. Now here's the cool thing. That the more we invest in what God has given us in his kingdom, the more we will receive. Right? If you want encouragement, give encouragement. Right? You want love? Give love. That's the amazing thing about God's kingdom. He says, there's a wonderful thing about this parable of the talents. He says, you know, I'll give you a portion of what I think you're capable of. You invest in the kingdom, it's going to have a reward. It will actually result in something. So be compassionate. Be willing to be generous. Be willing to be available. But to start with being aware. That's where we begin. Now you say, Aaron, there's too much suffering in the world. I can't possibly meet all of it. Right? Don't let that stop us from showing compassion. Right? The whole idea that sometimes we get paralyzed by the enormity of the suffering in the world. God didn't call you to solve everything. But God will appoint things. He's sovereign. In your life, there'll be opportunities. People will come before you. There'll be opportunities for you to respond. When those opportunities come, the challenge is for you to respond. Right? Be aware to those things. Right? And each one of us does our part. Think how amazing it is. We talk about winning the community of Estes Park for the kingdom of God. It starts here. So let's be aware. Let's be ready. So here are some things that we could do. I challenge you to apply this compassion in your life. Put it in action. Take out your connection card. Um, these are just some ideas, but some challenges, some commitments I'm going to challenge you to do in the back. The first thing I'm going to challenge you to do is, why don't you memorize Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine? Why don't you actually memorize the whole great commandment, Right? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself because all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Why don't you take some time and actually memorize the most important things, right? These, these are key things. Would you take some time this week and not just memorize them, but think about what does this look like in my life? Because we're never going to please God fully until we actually get down to this first, right? And greatness in the kingdom will not happen outside of these. So maybe we just, this is a great place to start this year. I challenge you, take some time. Don't just memorize, but meditate. Think about what these things have to say. How do they apply in your life? Another thing you might want to do, maybe you want to read the parable of the Good Samaritan for yourself. There is so much more in that parable than I got to today. Read it. See it for yourself. And then ask yourself, where do you fit in that? Who are you? Which of the three people walking along are you? Or maybe maybe you're the guy right now lying bloodied on the side of the road. (laughs) Who do you want to see come by? (laughs) Right? Read it. Or maybe this. Maybe what you need to do this week is start to be aware. And this is how we do it, is to start by looking for a need. We're going to look, we're going to see what we're looking for. You ever notice that? You're going you're gonna to buy something, and that's like you see like everybody has one of those. I remember I was looking at a watch here recently, and like everybody, it seemed like, had that particular watch, right? And I was like, where did everybody get these watches? Well, I did, everybody already had these before. I just wasn't looking for them. Look for a need. Say, God, where are the opportunities that you've given me to show compassion? Start looking for it. And guess what? When you see it, Do something about it. And that's where it gets adventurous. That's where our faith starts to have, like, there's a little bit of anxiety and and yet at the same time thrill, right? Because then God will bring something before you and you might feel totally unprepared and most likely you will be totally unprepared for it because it'll happen, you won't be ready, it'll be inconvenient, and it'll be ugly and messy and all of a sudden be before you and you'll be like, ah, okay, what can I do? I'm just going to enter in their suffering right now. 
and pray the whole time that you're doing it, right? God, what can I do for this? Maybe it's just loving the person. Maybe it's just sitting with them. Maybe there's something else. And God will give you what you need to care for the person. And then you'll get to see God working in your life, which is awesome. So maybe with this week, you start with seeing a need, meeting a need. Or maybe for you, it's what you need to do this week, show compassion. You need to forgive somebody. In fact, to do the extra mile is to bless them. Somebody's hurt you. Somebody's doing something awful, right? Not excuse their behavior. Forgive the person, right? Believe God's best and then say, you know, I'm forgiving you, not because you deserve it, because God's forgiven me. Or maybe there's an opportunity you can actually go the extra mile and do something that just totally knocks their socks off. Maybe that's the challenge that you have this week. Or maybe there's something else, another way that you can care greatly that God and the Holy Spirit's working on your heart right now saying this is what you need to do. Please let me know because I'll be lifting you in prayer this week. As you make your commitments here in just a minute, I also um, write down your any prayer requests. I, will, I do love praying for you. It does help me know what to pray for. So if I have this, I'll write that down. In a minute, we're going to take our offering. And as we do, take these connection cards and put them in the offering plate um, along with your tithes and your offerings. I would sure appreciate that. All right, well, let's, uh, let's pray uh, before we take our offering and, and then we'll finish up with some worship. Father God, thank you for you. Thank you for your great love, your compassion that did come in action, that you came in the cross, that you died for us, you rose again, and you gave us eternal life. Not only that, but you've given us an amazing call and a great challenge to love an unlovable world. And yet you love us even when we didn't deserve it. So, Father, you call us to love this world when it doesn't deserve it so that your redemptive work can be com- accomplished so that people who are stuck in sin and suffering and, and selfishness and, and guilt and shame can be, ref- can be freed and restored, redeemed. God, do a mighty work, Lord. We talk about being disciples of Jesus that make disciples of Jesus, but God, that means that we've got to follow your footsteps, and that means we've got to be compassionate people. We've got to love others that, as much as we love ourselves, and Lord, we confess that that is hard, and we're not going to be able to do it alone. So we're going to pray for your Holy Spirit to help us. We're going to pray for encouragement with one another to do this. But Father, I pray that you would build in us, grow in us a heart of compassion for our world and for our neighbors and for our our fellow believers. Let us be people that don't just talk about love, but who demonstrate it with our everyday life so that we win the right to testify how great you are. Father, I pray for these commitments that we've each made. Help us to keep them in a way that honors you and changes our hearts. Father, I thank you for the tithes and the offerings that we, we get to offer to you this morning. May it be an investment in your kingdom. May we give generously because you've generously given to us. And Father, I pray that you will bless this community generously and that you will bring many to faith this year. Lord, we pray all of this in the wonderful and the compassionate and the kind and the loving and the powerful name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. <laughs>